the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Uh, I have determined that I really need to have my intro updated because I've been practicing over 40 years. Uh, When I first started doing this show, which is three years ago now, uh, it would have been over 30 years, but now it's over 40 years. So uh, I'll just have to let the station know I I need a new intro recorded because I don't want to be considered old-fashioned and out of date. So if you've been listening the last few weeks, you know that I actually have a workshop coming up, an estate planning workshop. It's going to be a new format that I've never done before, and I think it's going to be very interesting for the people attending. It is actually going to be tomorrow morning, July 17th, 2021, starting at 9 o'clock. It's going to go till about 10 or 10.30 at the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue in San Jose. I have room for 40 people to attend. As of right this moment, I have 27 people registered for uh, for the workshop. Uh, so there's still some room if you'd like to come. Uh, the workshop is going to focus on why to do estate planning and also focus on identifying for you what the things are that you think might be important to you to do estate planning. Uh, At the end of the workshop, you'll have finished uh, paperwork in our discussion that you would be able to provide to me should you decide that you would like to talk with me further about estate planning, what I call book a call. Now, to register, you can either go to eventbrite.com and search for the the estate planning workshop that's for tomorrow or go to my website at lawbob l-e-w-b-o-b dot com and click on the menu item for workshops and seminars and that will open up a page where you can click on a registration button and register that way so i encourage you uh, this is my first live presentation since covid shut us all down here in Santa Clara County the middle of March of last year. Uh, I'm excited to be back in person talking to the public in a seminar, in a workshop, and uh, let you all know this will be a mask-optional uh, 
workshop. If you've been vaccinated, uh, you do not need to wear a mask. If you have not, I request that you consider wearing a mask, but I'm not going to be checking at the door and I'm not going to be policing everybody at the door. I'm not your mother. I'm not your father. And I trust that people will act as responsible adults should they decide to attend. Uh, this is not really a presentation for children. So you don't bring your, your baby or your toddler with you. Uh, your adult children who may have estates of their own, uh, may be married, may not be married, may have children, may not have children. Uh, they might want to consider attending as well. When you register, you can register for up to six tickets at a time. Uh, but as I indicated, we're down to roughly 13 tickets left now for the workshop. So um, registration closes tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. If you decide you just at the last minute you'd like to come by, you could certainly come by and I will let you come in on a space available basis with those who've registered first having priority. But if people who have registered do not show up, then spaces may open up in the seminar room. Um, this is a dedicated seminar room. There's plenty of seating and I'm not having it at full capacity, which is 60. So there should be room to spread out if you feel more comfortable spreading out. So that's my estate planning workshop tomorrow morning, starting at nine o'clock at the Silicon Valley Business Center on Camden Avenue in San Jose. That's Camden and Lee. It's a couple of blocks from my office here in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. So I'm going to start the show today following my usual format, which is questions and comments from around the state of California. I will also let you know if you'd like to call in with a question. Uh, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Feel free to call in if you'd like to talk with me on the air if you have a question. Okay. Um, Okay, so here, something out of Van Nuys. Says, my mom has cancer and is on hospice. She lives with her husband, who's not my father, uh, but she gave uh, my sisters the rings my grandmother had given to her. Three days later, her husband, stepdad, got mad at my sister. Now they want the rings back but it was a gift and my mom's gonna die any day now. If it goes back to him, we'll never get the rings back. Do we have to give them back? This is really kind of not asking for a legal opinion. I said legally, the answer would be no. Morally, ethically, spiritually, I don't know. Um, it, it, it really is a judgment call on behalf of the person receiving this gift. If it was truly a gift, then it was a gift. If you decide to give it back, it's because you're following your mother's wishes. If you don't give it back, there's no legal way I could see to compel those rings to be returned. So uh, that's kind of the short answer for that. Now, 
Here, can a secondary owner of a bank account spend money the first owner had in their account upon that person's death? Okay, my sister was the secondary account owner of my father's bank account at his death. Legally, she now owns that account. Just prior to my father's death, he refinanced his trust property in order to upgrade it. The loan money was deposited to his account just prior to his death. Instead of using the loan money for what it was borrowed for, presumably to fix up the trust property, she bought a new car instead. Can my sister legally use that money for something other than what the loan was for? I think this person actually answered their own question in their question. Legally, the sister owns that account. If she was put on as a co-owner of the account with dad, then on dad's death, it's her account. She can do whatever she wants with it. I think what's probably going on here is the idea was that this money was going to be used to fix up dad's home, maybe to make it more presentable, maybe to get a better sales price, something like that. But instead, the sister decided, well, this is my money now. I'm going to spend it just on me, and I'm not going to use it for the purpose that was clearly intended. But legally, if it's the sister's money, she can do whatever she wants with it. It's her money. Okay, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back after the break, I'll be continuing with more Plan Your State Radio. So uh, wait for me after the break. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman, and I will talk with you after the first break of our show today. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, with that in mind, let me dive right back in. Okay. Let's see. Excuse me, I had a minor accident here in my office studio. I had some water spill. Fortunately, I survived. Last time I checked, I won't melt when water lands on me. Uh, yep, still here. We're good. Okay. So here is a situation where, uh, let's see, the person said a property is in the living trust. It's listed in the trust, but the title never got put in the trust name. How do we transfer it into the trust? Uh, don't know how it was overlooked. Need to get this done as soon as possible. So if this is the person who created the trust, then they need to have a deed drawn up to transfer the title of the property into the trust, uh, get that signed, notarized, change of ownership report prepared. Uh, the, that's a, an assessor's form that's available at the assessor in whatever county this is in, and get that recorded. But the most important thing is get a deed drawn up, get it signed and notarized. Um, once that is done, the title is legally changed uh, to the trust ownership, and then getting it recorded 
will confirm to the rest of the world uh, that the title has actually been changed. If this is after someone has already died, then what's going to need to be done is what's called a Hegstat petition. And uh, many of you, if you've been listening for quite some time, you know I talk about Hegstat petitions. A Hegstat petition is a court action filed in the probate court of the county where the person lived, person who died, where they lived. And it's basically presenting evidence to the court that the person had a trust, that they owned some kind of asset or assets, such as a house, that it was intended to be in the trust because there's written evidence of that intent, like here, listed in the trust, probably on a schedule of assets. But for whatever reason, it didn't make it into the trust. Either it wasn't put in in the first place or it was taken out to refinance the property. That happens very frequently uh, or any number of other reasons. In this case, person thought it was in the trust, maybe. Uh, everyone thought dad had put his house in the trust and they find out dad never did that. In fact, the house is still in mom and dad's name. Uh, as joint tenants, and uh, Dad never removed Mom's name from the property and then never transferred into the trust he had set up. I find that happens a lot when people have a do-it-yourself estate plan where they uh, do the trust themselves and everything, and oftentimes the transfer of assets into the trust, what we call Funding the trust in the legal community, uh, oftentimes that doesn't happen or doesn't happen properly, and the family ends up having to do court action to get that property into the trust. Uh, if you have a schedule of assets listing the property, if you have a general assignment of categories of assets that includes the type of asset in question, if you have a special will called a pour-over will that directs that everything go into the trust, you're on pretty solid ground going to court and having the court declare these, this property, these assets are in the trust. If you don't have those things, then you're probably looking at having to go through the whole probate process. And there, if the person did not have a pour-over will, directing it to go into the trust, and I've seen that before. Someone creates a trust, they never create a will to support the trust. You may end up having a probate, what's called an intestate probate, which means it goes through probate and the person's heirs under the law end up receiving that property rather than the beneficiaries of their trust who could be different people or in different percentages or something like that. I guess the general moral of all this is don't try to do this on your own. Um, do not try to do estate planning on your own. There's too many things that can go wrong if it's not done correctly. Uh, I've spent a fair amount of my time as an attorney uh, going to court fixing errors, fixing errors in the trust, fixing errors in drafting, uh, fixing a uh, property that's not put in the trust that should have been. And um, 
my job as an estate planning attorney is to do estate plans so that that kind of stuff doesn't happen, so that people don't have to go to court after mom and dad are gone uh, in order to fix problems that could have been avoided if the planning was done properly the first time around or if a trust was properly funded. So that would be my uh, statement to this person. You probably need to do a Hextap petition, and hopefully you have enough written evidence of intent that that property be in the trust that a court can uh, can basically with confidence sign a court order declaring it's in the trust. Uh, it would also, uh, if you want to do it more quickly, some counties allow you to do it without a noticed hearing called ex parte. And, and that will typically require everybody who is an interested party to the trust, which would be all the heirs, all the beneficiaries named, it could also be uh, people who are not uh, receiving anything in the trust, but because they are heirs, they have to consent as well. And if you get all those consents, you can sometimes do things quickly without having to go through uh, two, three, four months to get into court to have it done. Some counties, it's even longer than that uh, to get a Hegstat petition heard and granted. I'm dealing with one right now in Alameda County, and it's going to be about five months from the time I filed it before the hearing. Uh, the hearing's not until October, and I filed back in May, June, July, August. Yeah, about five months for it to be heard, so it's not very, very quick there. Um, depending on the county you're in, your mileage will vary. It's not a matter of it may vary at all. It will vary. It could be very fast in some counties, a long, tedious process in other counties. So we're coming up on the mid-show break. I just want to uh, encourage you to consider coming to my workshop tomorrow. There's still space available. Go to lawbob.com, click on the menu item for workshops and seminars, and then you'll find a button that you can click on to register for that. Or you can also find it at eventbrite.com, searching under Estate Planning Workshop for tomorrow, July 17th. Um, if you'd like to have a consultation with me, you can also go straight to my website at LawBob and click on the Book a Call button on that first page. You can decide whether you want to meet in person, by telephone, or with a Zoom call. All of those things are available to you. So I'll talk with you after the mid-show break. This is estate plan attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, we're in the second half of our show today. I'm feeling pretty good today, feeling stronger. If you've been listening, you know that, that I actually had a stroke earlier this year. And um, recovery seems to be kind of slow. The physical recovery is is taking longer than I wanted it to. Uh, regaining, slowly but surely regaining full use of my left hand so that I can type and do my estate plans. And um, I, I also have a, a lot of left side pain. Uh, those of you out there who have had strokes and have recovered from them, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've had a family member that is, has recovered from a stroke or is going through that, it takes a long time 
and it's taken a lot longer than I wanted it to, but I am determined to recover fully from this uh, back to my, my usual lively active self. And uh, it is not stopping me from working. It is not stopping me from broadcasting on the air like I'm doing right now. It is not stopping me from doing a live workshop tomorrow morning here in San Jose. So I uh, just want to let you all know I'm on the mend. I'm uh, getting stronger and stronger every week, recovering more and more use of things every week. And uh, any of you out there who may be suffering the effects of a stroke or you know someone who has, hang in there and encourage people. Uh, just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Be like Dory, uh, you know, just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. Um, and that's kind of my mantra right now. Keep moving forward, I'm not gonna look back. Uh, so, enough of the testimonial about recovering from a stroke. Let's get back to some more questions and comments from around the state of California. Now here's one out of Englewood, California. Person asks, how would I go about making sure my brother is the successor of a trust if I die? I am the sole trustee and beneficiary of an irrevocable trust. Hmm. Well, let's see. If this is an irrevocable trust, that means it probably was set up by somebody else for this person. And it may be a trust similar to the ones that I set up a lot within estate plans for my clients, where they leave property in trust for children, so an irrevocable trust, so that property can have asset protection for that child for the child's lifetime. And uh, the trust that I set up like that always give the beneficiary, who might be the trustee of that trust after the parents are gone, give them the ability to appoint a successor trustee as part of their authority or as a beneficiary, the ability to appoint someone to take over from them. Um, and the reason for that is just that. Now here this person asks, can my will stipulate that my brother's a successor trustee? That's not really where you would do it. Um, you would probably want to do it as a separate document where you are appointing him as a successor trustee. But ultimately, you have to look at the trust itself to see what kind of authority is given to you as trustee or you as the beneficiary of the trust to appoint a successor to yourself. Uh, you have to start first, as is the case with many, many of the situations that uh, come to me and that I talk about with people, you always have to start first with the trust document. What does the trust document say about what you can or can't do? Because ultimately, that is going to be um, a major determining factor whether or not you can do it um, just unofficially or whether you have to do it with some kind of court action. Of course, we want to avoid some kind of court action, if at all possible, but sometimes there's no real way to avoid that. So that's what I would, uh, what I'd say to that person there. Okay, here, 
can I resign as trustee of a trust and executor under a will and still inherit what my family member left for me? Says, I'm having issues with other family members as I try to honor my role as trustee and executor of the will. I'm strongly considered resigning and letting the court appoint someone else to take over. At this point, I don't have a recommendation for the court and I don't want to be in the position to help them make that decision given all the stress and problems with their family members. In the event that I resign and the court takes over, meaning appoint someone to take over from me, does that nullify any inheritance that I was set to receive uh, that's outlined in the will and trust after all um, uh, creditors' claims have been paid? The answer is no. Um, you're still a beneficiary, and even if you're not the trustee or executor, you have rights as a beneficiary which are completely independent from you acting as the trustee of a trust or executor under a will. So stepping down from that job doesn't mean that you somehow give up the rights to the inheritance that are that's uh, specified in that plan that you're referring to. Okay, here out of Montebello, California, my husband and I own a home. He no longer wants any part of our home and wants his name to be removed. Do I need a quitclaim deed? I'd say that would probably be the way to go. A quitclaim deed where he quitclaims all of his right, title, and interest in the home to you. Now, a quitclaim deed, actually that says any interest he has um, or may acquire in the future. Um, basically, he's giving it to you. So that would be the approach that I would take is using a quitclaim. Okay, here's one. My adult brother is very much alive and both physically and mentally sound. He and I have the same father, different mothers. He and our recently deceased father had what in everybody's point of view is a very good relationship. So we're all especially my wonderful brother, deeply hurt, crushed, upset, and disturbed by the following damaging paragraph in our father's California trust. Quote, Settler has intentionally and with full knowledge failed to provide for his son, my brother. For all purposes, said son shall be considered having predeceased the settlers, leaving no issue surviving. The cruelty of this statement seems designed to cut to the emotional bone, but before we jump to an absolute conclusion, is this legal jargon which serves some purpose? Why wouldn't omitted be the chosen wording as it was for his wife? Well, I'll tell you that if you intend to disinherit somebody like a child, kind of the the traditional way we do that is um, either saying they're disinherited or saying they're considered to having predeceased you. Uh, and if you want to disinherit them and their descendants, uh, meaning your grandchildren, step-grandchildren, great-grandchildren, etc., then you would use the language um, 
considered having predeceased the settlers, leaving no issue surviving, issue being, uh, in this case, the son's children, grandchildren, and so on. That is kind of a, a legal way of making it clear that you don't intend for the person to actually inherit anything through the uh, plan that you've created. Now, that wouldn't affect if the person was named as the beneficiary on a bank account or a life insurance policy or a retirement plan. Only it would apply to uh, the particular estate planning tool that's being used, whether that's somebody's will or somebody's trust. And uh, I guess every, it sounds like everybody was surprised that, uh, that uh, dad said this about his son, if they appeared to have a good relationship. Um, don't have the whole story there. There may have been uh, some other things that happened that nobody really knows about, but the bottom line is that would be fairly typical language. It's the kind of language that I would typically use if someone intends to disinherit somebody. Treat them as if they were already deceased and sometimes including their issue as well. Uh, so that's kind of a formal uh, legal way of saying this person is dead to me. Uh, treat them as really treat them as if they never really existed. And yeah, it can come across as harsh, um, but it's an appropriate way to actually disinherit somebody if the intention is to disinherit them. Okay, I think I got time one more before the next break. Um, person says, I'm looking for the attorney my sister has hired and appointed as executor of our mother's will. I have his previous address. Recently, I mailed a letter with contact information of the heirs originally named in Mon's will and tracked it. When I entered the tracking number, the message said forwarded as per instructions given to the post office. I then initiated a search. The response was returning to sender. Okay, well, if you have the name of an attorney and the attorney is a member of the state bar, you can go to calbar.ca.gov which is the website for the state bar, and look up the attorney and see uh, if the attorney has an address on file that's different from the one you have. If the attorney has moved and did not provide that new address to the state bar, the attorney's actually in violation of bar rules and could get into trouble for that. Okay, we're going to come back after this final break, finish up the show, talk with you after the break, attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So I have a, uh, what should be a fairly quick question out of Santa Ana, California. person said, in my living trust, the lawyer uses the word properties instead of property. Will I have any problem in the future? said, I only have a house and a minimal uh, minimal cash dollar amount listed in Schedule A of my trust to fund the trust. But the lawyer used the word properties instead of property throughout um, my trust. The question is, is there any problem if we use the word properties, plural, instead of property, singular, throughout most of the trust? Well, first of all, property 
actually has a broader meaning than I think what this person thinks, which is real property, meaning real estate. Uh, property is real property or real estate and personal property. Personal property includes things like your stuff, you know, automobiles and jewelry and precious metals and works of art and furniture in your house and clothing. And uh, it also includes uh, personal property. It can also include things like your bank accounts, your brokerage accounts, stuff like that. So the use of the term properties is broader than the term property referring to real property. So this person's not going to have any problem. Um, it's probably the attorney's standard practice to just use the term properties throughout the trust so that it covers any and all property of every kind that is being covered. Okay, here's someone out of Stockton. I need a will, but I would rather make a living trust. I only have a house that I want to go to daughter to my daughter, but would like to avoid all the probate hassle. Was told I could have the house put into a living trust to do that. Yes, that is absolutely the case. Transferring the title of your house into a revocable living trust will mean that the property, in this case real property, avoids the probate process and can be passed on pretty quickly and easily to your daughter after your death. It has the added advantage that if you put that property into a trust and then you need to go into a nursing home and qualify for Medi-Cal, which is the state helping pay the cost of your nursing home, that that house, that residence that you put into your trust is not subject to any recovery right by the state for monies paid out for you to pay for your nursing home care. Uh, this was a change in the law that took place a few years ago. And uh, that in and of itself might be a reason for someone to set up a living trust, even if the only thing they have is their home. Not only does it enable it to bypass probate, but if you become incapacitated and go into a nursing home, it means that uh, the state will not be able to recover against that home after you died if money is spent for your nursing home care. And that is huge right there. That's absolutely huge because otherwise the family might see the family home being forced to be sold because there's a big bill from the state uh, because of an extended nursing home stay where the state was paying through Medi-Cal, was paying for the cost of that nursing home stay. Okay, um, let's see here. Why is the trustee's name showing up as an owner? My grandparents had a reverse mortgage. When they died, the trustees sold the house to tenants who lived in one of the houses on the property. Ten months later, the trustee's name still shows up as owner of the property. How could this be possible? Shouldn't the new owner's name show up as the new owners of the property? I feel something is not right and the trustee is somehow part owner of the property. There's any number of reasons why the trustee might still be showing up as owner. If you're talking about their showing up on the title of the property, that's one thing. If you're saying that when you do a search, the name comes up, it could be that they have not actually gotten around 
to updating the public records. Um, some of the counties, and this is in Los Angeles County, I've had attorneys telling me who are practiced in Los Angeles County, it's taking months and months and months for records to be updated properly, even for um, assessor's records to be updated. It's kind of a mess. COVID has really, really impacted uh, government entities in a very, very big way. So um, a search of the actual title through a title company would say who actually is the owner of the property uh, because the public records may or may not be accurate right now. Um, that's what I would say to this person. Okay. So I've uh, got about a minute to go in the show today. I want to encourage you all to consider attending my estate planning workshop tomorrow morning, starting at 9 o'clock uh, at the Silicon Valley Business Center in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Uh, I still have room left in there for the workshop. You could register by going to my website at lawbob.com, click on the menu item for workshops and seminars, and then that will open up a page where you can then click on the registration button and do it that way, uh, or go straight to eventbrite.com and search for estate planning workshop, and you can register through there as well. Registrations open through 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, if you'd like to just try and come by, I'll let people come in on a space available basis with people who pre-registered having preference for seats. So until next week, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Hope you have a great weekend and I'll be back on the air next Friday. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.